Welcome to another installment of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Today, I want to mention something that I've been looking at online lately. It's really caught my eye, and I know we've, we've talked before, uh, and I said it's not really my cup of tea. It's not to, really mine either. To, to do it, but to watch it is something else. It is truly amazing. I've been looking online, because we've been talking a lot about canoeing and canoe tripping and stuff like that, because that, that's our, our main center of focus. But as we've said before, we want to get into new things, uh, kayaking and that being one of them, and rafting and stand-up paddleboarding. And in my research over the last week, something that has really caught my eye is the freestyle kayaking competitions. Um, these small little boats. And I do believe, Derek, that you actually have one of these small kayaks. I do. I never got advanced like this. I'm still like less than a beginner for as far as whitewater kayaking goes. Yeah. You know what? It's, 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 it's really neat. It's, it's, I mean, I, I heard the term to begin with was, was, um, kayak rodeo. Uh, you know, the, all these little boats would, these kayaks would, would gather around a local fast moving, you know, water hole and start doing tricks. And I guess it's just grown from there where now there's these massive competitions and I mean, there's money involved and you get sponsors like Red Bull uh, sponsoring people and, and all the different kayak companies and whatnot. And it's grown and grown and grown to now. Um, just seeing some of the, the things on, on the internet and the videos on YouTube, these are massive competitions. And I mean, the, the world championships, they're like five, six, seven days long. You know, it's not just a little quick little uh, day thing. I mean, there, I'm sure there, there's a lot of those little day ones around where, you know, like local ones. But when you start getting to the professional level, these are massive competitions now. They are. And I think the international competition, it's once every two years. The most recent one was in Canada, which was a, in, the, in the Ottawa River. And, uh, well, as far as as far as Ontario and Canada goes, like, Ontario is quite the mecca for white water kayaking. You have people traveling from all around the world to run the Ottawa River and, and similar. It's uh, There's a lot of places around the world that people are discovering more and more locations, Uganda and stuff like that. But Canada is a focal point for a lot of the whitewater communities. Yeah, that's up in Beechburg on, in the Ottawa Valley. Um, the Wilderness Tours, the rafting company up there, which we've talked about before, they actually hosted it back in uh, August and September of last year. Um, and the one big place, the big wave they call is the Garburator. It's, uh, they say it's a super fast seven foot tall wave. And it'll, yeah, apparently it'll demolish you if you're not careful. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Garburator. But yeah, Beachburg, it's, it's about an hour and a half north of Ottawa and about a four and a half hour drive from Toronto. So, um, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot of the people. And a lot of the, the Canadian team, I think they said 17 of 23 members of the Canadian team are from that area. Uh, so, I mean, they, they grew up running that water. You know, a lot of the young guys and that. But when you start looking at stuff, um, I mean, there's even the Himalayan Freestyle Kayak Championships are this April on the Trishuli River. Um, in in Nepal. So, I mean, and then you got out west in BC, the Shishwap River. Um, they have their big kayak uh, festival as well. Um, you start getting in all these things. It's really neat. And the, the terminology, and it sort of gets into, you know, I guess the realm, uh, the equivalent of winter. I mean, you'd get the snowboarding and stuff like that. Exactly. Or they've got, yes. And the skateboarding in the summer. Or they've got their their terminology. They got all their tricks and you know, people try to one-up each other and get better and and they try to invent new tricks and, and, and stuff. And, and just watching some of them, I mean, now I know we were looking earlier at some of the trick names and stuff. You got things like the Blunt, the Air Screw, the McNasty, the Helix, Back Pan Am. And you get some good ones like the Space Godzilla, the Phonics Monkey, and the Lunar Orbit. <laughs> when you look at these tricks on on YouTube and stuff, it it's uh, it's really hard to appreciate what they are when you just hear the name. But if you Google some of these terminologies on uh, on YouTube, there's a lot of videos for uh, whitewater kayaking and freestyle kayaking, and uh, it was it was entertaining for myself as I was refreshing my memory of a lot of these the terminology for whitewater kayaking, 
preparing for this episode and it was uh it kind of brought back a lot of memories of what i've uh, kind of turned my back on but it's uh it's very interesting to refresh and the entertainment value of, of watching this stuff and remembering what i used to do well i know one of the things you were talking about earlier is you're going through the classes of, yes of the um different types of, of rapids and whatnot starting out with like class one where it's really really easy and um not much much doing no yeah so let me uh let me call up the uh the classes of whitewater here and anybody who's into uh either whitewater kayaking whitewater canoeing or or whatever then you'll be more familiar with some of these terminologies so class one rapid it's a very mellow easygoing whitewater no consequence a class two rapid it's a rapid that has some waves in whitewater but is still very easy to maneuver and little or no consequence a class three rapid is a rapid with faster flowing water, a few white water features to maneuver around, and some consequence. Uh, personally, I would I I'm comfortable in a class two. I would uh, tend to avoid a class three rapid, and uh, so beyond that, you get into a class four rapid. It's a rapid that contains a number of features that require skill, experience to maneuver around, with consequences that include the possibility of injury. <clears throat> so the descriptions start to get more interesting as you go up. A class five rapid, it's a very difficult rapid where consequence of missing a maneuver or swimming may result in severe injury or death. Then there's a class six rapid, which is a rapid that is not runnable. And nowadays with extreme sports and, and people who are into the extreme sports, people are starting to run these class six rapids. And and it's a, it's a mentality that uh, you, know, you see with reality TV and everybody's going for this next edge, this next thing. You do see people challenging these higher classes just for fun, right? And and that's where you hear within, uh, you know, here in the news and whatever about kayakers or canoeists who have, you know, come to some severe consequence or death or whatever from doing these extreme situations. Well, when you start getting into that, you're also, you know, going through all these videos and stuff and, you know, just doing the research. You start getting a lot of the guys are doing these waterfalls. Yes, it it amazes me that people are running waterfalls. Yeah, and I mean they're going all over the world to finding these waterfalls, these big drops, and you know they're starting to talk about world records and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it's I mean it, it all gets into the the extreme adventure portfolio, I guess. Um, but I mean, it's a far cry from doing your, you know, what we're talking about this freestyle kayaking where you're doing all your little tricks into, you know, dropping a hundred feet off a waterfall exactly, and then, you know, coming out the other side, uh, unscathed. I, I've got no, <laughs> no desire to do no. that whatsoever. It almost reminds me of people who like uh, base jumping, you know, you climb a tower, you climb a building and you, and you jump, there's no, there's no free fall for a base jumper. They just pull the chute right away and and the chute barely opens by the time they hit the ground type thing. And so it's sort of, I think this is sort of where whitewater kayakers do these waterfalls just for that that rush, that edge to, to you're not going to see much. You're going to be inside the waterfall. You won't, you're just going to have the sensation of falling and then landing in this big white water pool at the bottom, right? So it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we should try and talk to somebody who runs uh, waterfalls to get their uh, background in it and why they choose to do something like that. Well, what interests me is, I mean, at some point you jumped in a kayak and you were tootling across the lake and then maybe down a river and then, you you know, a, a bit fast water and then faster water and faster and faster. What's going through your, your mind and what leads you to the decision to like from when you first jumped in the kayak, you know, when you graduate all the way up to running the fast, fast water and taking it to that edge where it could be the last, you know, the last thing you do. What, what goes through your mind? What makes you do that? You know, I mean, I'm, I, as I've said it before, I'm happy paddling across a nice flat lake, but when you're looking at some of these things these guys are doing now, you know, um, again, as I, as I started saying at the beginning of the session here is I really find it neat watching it. Yes, it you is know, entertaining. Watching these guys do their tricks and, <clears throat> and as, as many tricks as they can do in 45 seconds, which to me doesn't sound like a long time. Yes, and you're talking about the freestyle championships yeah. and the competitions. Yeah, yeah, the, the championships. Where are the competitions yet? When 
you're talking 45 seconds. That's really not a lot of time. But I guess when you're in your, your kayak and you're doing all these little tricks and stuff like that, I mean, you're just going one right after the other, after the other, after the other. And again, if you relate it to snowboarding or, exactly. or uh, you know. I mean, like the half pipe for snowboarding, that, that's like a 10-second run or 15-second run. And you're just doing as many tricks and extreme tricks as you possibly can. Whereas you have a section of river that's, you have a set section where you're going to try and do as, as many extreme tricks in that short section where you'd have... Uh, you know, hydraulics or you'd be doing rolls and back rolls and stuff like that. Just as many as possible to outdo the next guy and outdo the previous guy. Yeah, it's it's definitely something to, to see. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure they they go through what they're going to do and, and whatnot, just like all the rest of the extreme sports guys do. But, uh, yeah, you know what? I've been watching it, and you just start watching what some of these guys are doing. And I know on Facebook this week there was a guy in a um, – uh, tandem kayak and he's I'm not sure what I can't remember which river they were going down but a bunch of them are watching him on the shore and as he comes ripping through he hits a nice big wave goes flying in the air and he actually does a flip in the air or a roll I guess in the air in a tandem in a tandem and that's what they're all hooting and hollering about is the fact that he's done this in a in a long tandem canoe wow the thing had to be like 17 feet long and uh, yeah he's done that <laughs> or sorry not a canoe a, a kayak yeah. sorry a kayak and, uh, yeah, just watching stuff like that. And I'm thinking, what would possess you to do that? <laughs> it's, I, I really don't have, um, the want to do that, but I'll watch it. And I'm fi- I'm finding it very interesting to watch it. You know, seeing these guys doing all these tricks and, and flips and, um, you know, and you see them and they're at, at points, all you see above the waves is their head. Yes. I mean, there's so much white water and, you know, it, yeah, you see this helmet and that's it. But I've seen a couple of videos where it goes pretty drastically wrong. And I've seen videos where, you know, like they have, I guess, I guess you call them spotters on the shore when these guys are making these runs and something goes wrong. These guys are in there right off the bat with the ropes and hauling the guys out and, you know, it, there is. It looks like there's a lot of safety procedures. There is, and and they do. They, I I know from my previous course and from when I used to do this stuff. There's, there's a lot of uh, practices for for rescues, river rescues, and whatnot. You you know, a lot of people. When you have a instructor, or if you have a group that are doing this extreme uh, kayaking, they all carry like. Uh, rescue tow ropes and and rescue harnesses on their on their uh, life jackets and stuff like that so they're always ready to whip a rope out into the river or i've seen guys where they uh, tie the rope to themselves somebody's on shore with the rope and he just runs out and leaps into the into the river to grab the guy that's floating by before he goes over a waterfall or something so it's it's very interesting to see and you can see that they're they're enjoying themselves it's even just the act of rescuing everybody's just having fun right so it's just you're always trying to one up everything and you're looking for that edge that extreme edge it's i guess i can understand why some people do it but it's obviously just not for me yeah it's not it's not for me uh either um there's yeah there, there's a lot of it on on the uh, on youtube and what that that you can watch these videos and you can see what they're doing and you know what? That's the one thing is they do look like they're having fun. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, and I know that they're they're saying that the Olympics has picked up a few parts of their sports, like the some of the slalom stuff and whatnot. But as for the, the freestyle, I guess that has yet to be picked up by the Olympics. I see that coming soon. I, for think, summer I would Olympics. think so. Because it's it's just like uh, the for in the Winter Olympics, the aerials and, and ski jumping and stuff like that. There's They're very niche sports. But with kayaking, it's done all the time. So people aren't just going to winter, like, do these long jumps and skiing regularly. It's, like, for competitions. But as whitewater, it's people do this all the time, and it's an interesting sport. And you have quite a few people in it. And I, I everybody's there, when it comes to the Olympics, summer and, and winter, everybody's always trying to introduce new sports. And you're always trying to get the Olympic committees to agree to accept new sports. So it just takes the the right number of requests over a few years, and eventually you're going to see freestyles in the Olympics. Well, seeing how much this has grown, I mean, you, you start looking back from what they were doing way back in the day and 
And now with, like I say, how, how big these competitions are and the amount of money involved in it and, and the types of sponsors that are, you know, sponsoring individual. There is a lot of money in this. Oh, there's, there's huge a lot of amounts. Money. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, like they, they show, uh, there's, um, the companies putting these things on and the locations and it's huge tourist draws. And that was one of the big things about the Ottawa Valley having it come here last year, the, the world championships was, it was a huge draw for tourists to come. It was yes. a big money maker for the, for the area. Yeah. It brings in money because what you have is a comp, the competitors and the entourage of the competitors and then you have family and whatever. And then you have a lot of people who just come to watch it and enjoy it. You have people who are up and coming, who are here to watch and see what they want to, the skills that they want to get and attain. And then you have like people of photography, media and stuff like that. It, it draws in a lot of people and that's, that's a lot of money into a concentrated area. So the, you know, say Sushwap River up in BC or the Ottawa River Valley, it just, it draws in people, it draws in money. So you can see why people are going to start supporting it and sponsoring it, right? And of course, you know, the typical sponsors would be like, you know, Red Bull and outdoor sports and gear companies. So because there's a lot of money in these things to draw the people in and draw the money in. Oh, there's definitely a lot of money in it. Um, you know, and you, and you can see it, you see all the banners and that, that they wave around and, you know, like I say on the sides of the rivers, when you're watching the, the videos, you see them, the sponsors, banners and gear and all that stuff, Oh yes, you know, so, but the thing I really notice about this is it is everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I mean, I was watching some, and it's, uh, on the Congo river. Yeah, you know it's in Uganda. <laughs> Surprised me, but I you guess know, I know you joked about saying, "Oh yeah, Africa is apparently be a great, great place for it." You know, thinking the desert, yeah. but <laughs> little did you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> apparently Uganda is a great place for whitewater uh, <laughs> kayaking. You know, but all all, th- all through Europe and, and and North America and um, it's it's everywhere. And anywhere you're, you're where just, you could find a fast running river with. Uh, with hydraulics or with whitewater sections and the higher classes, like the uh, any obstacles and stuff like that, where it creates those those fun points where you can run a river, it's just going to start drawing people in, and you hear more and more of it. Like I've got friends that have gone; down, they regularly go to Europe and go to Mexico and and do these types of things, and it amazes me the uh, how far and wide that they'll go just to experience these different rivers. Yeah, and the thing is the. When you're watching some of this stuff, they it's like they're not even moving. They get in this one little spot and do all these tricks. Yeah, they're like surfing. It's sur- surfing yeah. a hydraulic. Yeah, and it's not like somebody goes zipping by you, you know, so you see them for like all of five seconds. Exactly. No, they're right in front of you, it's and they're s- doing all their... Their, their tricks right in front of you. And then when their 45 seconds is done, they yeah. they just, you know, let the let the uh, water carry them away. And the next guy zump, jumps in there and does his 45 seconds and the next guy and the next guy. Yeah, it's not like watching a car race where zoo, 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 they all go by you. It's when, when you see people surfing a hydraulic or surfing a hole, it's a static event where you see people lining up to run the hole and, and do their tricks. And then they, they'll either come out of it on their own or they'll screw up and then get washed out. Yeah, so you know, it's 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 neat to watch that. But I think this um this this summer I'll definitely see if I can hunt down a couple of these events and go check them out and uh and uh see what we can learn from them. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, The friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. A couple years ago, I was fortunate enough to be asked to speak at the Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium. There are more popular and larger events that draw larger crowds, but this event is smaller and more intimate. David Bain is a creator and organizer, and with the 5th Annual Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium coming up mid-April, we thought we should sit down and have a chat with him about the event. But before we get to that, I just wanted to mention that uh, in the lead-up to our recorded uh, interview with David Bain, he, uh, he talked about how he viewed 
uh, paddle sports. And he did say that he, the the symposium is geared more towards canoeing. And he mentioned that in regards to stand-up paddleboard and kayaking, he thought about them more like golf. Something you would gear up for and head out for an afternoon or head out for morning and, and get on the water, as opposed to canoeing, which seemed to be more geared towards multi-day or multi-week trips. So I, I thought it was... I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, and it really made sense the way he described it. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting point of view on on the whole kayaking, paddleboard, and canoe relationship myself. But uh, here is our interview with David, and uh, let's see what he has to say about his event. So, uh, David, thanks for helping out with the show here and coming on and talking about the Canoe Symposium. Uh, first, pleasure. First thing we'd like to know is, how did the Canoe Symposium come about? Uh, Sean, uh, about six years ago, I was invited to uh, speak at the Wilderness Canoe Association uh, in Toronto, which is a you know a long time symposium, I guess you could call it, and and lots of speakers, lots of great topics, and and it's certainly got uh, quite a following here in southern Ontario, and I know people even come up from the states. So I had a chance to be a speaker, and uh, I got thinking about it, and uh, the Wilderness Canoe Association has a bit of a a niche. Uh, target audience and topic. They like to to talk about going north of the tree line quite a bit, uh, so Labrador, Northwest Territories. And, uh, you know, I think the type of person who goes generally is, is, uh, you know, an experienced tripper. Uh, Some of them might even be described as fairly hardcore trippers. They they go for long trips and quite remote. And uh, I got thinking, you know, there's, there's great topics there and, and it, it was good to go to and great to listen and I know people who go every year but I thought there, there's probably a niche somewhere for people who are a little less hardcore and maybe uh, the sort of person who goes to Algonquin, Killarney, uh, the person who lives in southern Ontario and might get up to Sudbury, might do the Spanish River, might even get over to Quetico but you know they're, they're not necessarily heading up into Canada's Arctic and they might be doing one-week trip, two-week trip kind of thing. And I think Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, I mean, I live here, so it makes sense to run it here, but I think it's also a good place to run it because, uh, you know, it can draw folks from down in London, it can draw folks from towards Toronto, or I get people coming down from up, up north, Huntsville area, and so on. So uh, I think it's a good place, and I think it's a good uh, opportunity to get sort of local people and southern Ontario people talking about canoeing, and so that's why we got started yeah there there's lots of things that as you say you can go farther abroad but nothing really local um and i mean there's lots of of rivers and small streams and that that you can hit down in the southern ontario way as well um so that that would really draw the attention of people down this way well that's uh, right i mean if, if you live here we often joke that living in kitchener you know you look at google earth or something there's just not a lot a lot of water in this area and yet uh, people use the Grand River extensively. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to talk about who's going to be speaking at the symposium, but I, I have a speaker who's going to talk about just all the paddling opportunities in the creeks around the Grand River watershed. And so there's that, and then the short drives, really, because they are short drives to, you know, Algonquin is, uh, you know, not a, a huge haul away. And uh, the guys I canoe with, we love Killarney and, and the eastern shore of Georgian Bay or even uh, getting up into the Bruce Peninsula. And so, you know, uh, there's plenty of canoeing, uh, just a, a short day's journey away kind of thing. And uh, so, I, and, and people love to talk about canoeing. And, and, you know, we have this down season here in Canada. You can't canoe for at least six months of the year, although this past year was a bit of an exception. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it gives us an opportunity. It's April. Canoe season is just starting. And, uh, why not take a, a day and sort of listen to some people talk about their what they love about canoeing and different canoeing-related topics and kind of get your juices going for the for the coming season. So that's that's sort of what we're aiming for, and, and I think it, it's worked out pretty well. Well, I mean, being a, a past speaker myself and been attending them for the last few years, I, I really enjoy taking the day and sitting there and listening to people chat about the canoeing and tripping and, and different things that, that relate to. And, uh, you know, I'm not the only one. I have people that, you know, we, we meet up there every year to, to see all of this. It, it's Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes a, a social event as well. 
and uh, it it seems to have really taken off um, like immediately popular and and that seems to be a good thing for you um, you know it, have you thought about making it a larger event at all yeah uh, I've had a few people mention that and it's certainly something that's come up and, and we've talked about it a little bit um, the venue is a really excellent one the 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 uh, Princess Twin, not the old Princess in Waterloo, which has quite a history with paddling. That's where uh, Bill Mason's Water Walker film premiered, I believe, back yeah. in the 80s and and so on. So, I mean, uh, John Tutt, who runs the Princess, is a big supporter of canoeing and canoe-related things. He always has uh, either the Water Walker Film Festival or the Real Paddler Real Fest- Film Festival or both in. And uh, so, I mean, he's been very supportive. We've gone with the Princess Twin, which is a 150-seat theater. And you know from being a speaker, uh, even though it holds 150, it's a very intimate room. Uh, when you're down in the front, you feel like uh, you know, you're know you speaking just to a, a small group. And I think the folks who come and uh, the seats, uh, there's no such thing as a bad seat there. So uh, it's a great room to hold it in. Uh, the technology is good. The sound is good. Um, people have said, well, you know, you could sell more than 150 tickets, and and we possibly could. Some people have mentioned maybe twinning it with the theater next door, the other twin, and having the speaker speak twice and sort of flopping back and forth. And we thought of that. We thought of maybe going to a larger venue that might hold, say, three or 400. But the problem there is if you only sell 300 tickets in a 400-seat auditorium, uh, it's been a success, but it may not seem like a success because, you know, you've sold more tickets, but the room isn't full, and, and I think you might lose the intimacy. So uh, I think for now we're sort of looking at keeping it where it is, but, you know, you never say never, and uh, uh, we do sell out every year. Uh, right. We have since, uh, you know, the first year we were close to a sellout, and every year since it's been a sellout. And uh, so that's a good feeling, too. You know that it's still popular and still drawing an audience. So uh, you never say never, but uh, I think for now, uh, 150 seats is probably where we, where we want to be. Yeah, that's a, that's a good number. And as long as it's being uh, sold out, then, then you know what? At least you know people are enjoying it. And you got a couple of people. I know I, I was there last year, and there was a couple of people at the door saying, are there tickets left? And there weren't. And they're, like, being turned away. I mean, you got to get yeah. your tickets fast, right? Yeah, and, you know, the the theater technically holds 150, and I have to you know, hold a certain number of seats for the speakers, and then I've got my volunteers and uh, so on who are coming in. So, I mean, uh, you do want to get your tickets early. I, I know every year I hear from people who say, oh, you know, I, was, I meant to come, and I forgot to get my tickets, and, and I just tried, and, and boy, you're sold out. And I, I get it. A good feeling, I guess, but uh, you know, I, it, it's it's nice to know people still want to come. Actually, I just heard from a guy today who's a former speaker, and he said, "Oh, I forgot to get my ticket, and I went online, and they're sold out." And so, uh, yeah, it's a nice problem to have, though. That's oh, it, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I got my ticket uh, a while back there, and uh, made sure you know that I'm not going to be missing out this year, and haven't missed out yet. So that's a that's a good thing. Um, this is your fifth annual. Uh, it is. symposium this year which is really cool and so let's talk about guest speakers who's speaking at us this year who, who do we have this year well i the first year we had seven speakers or maybe even eight and I, i've cut it back to six uh, and sort of a bit of symmetry three in the morning three in the afternoon and as you know we're always trying for a lot of variety uh, we've had poets we've had uh, musicians we have people speaking about all kinds of things so i think we have a good varied lineup this year uh, we're going to start off with a, a gentleman named Evan Holt. Uh, Evan used to run a, a website called Trail Swag, and uh, he's a guy who's turned his love for canoeing into uh, an occupation. He, he managed to get a job being, uh, I believe that he's called the online coordinator, or uh, let me see, creative projects manager at the Canadian Canoe Museum. Right. So Evan's going to come and talk about the Canoe Museum and also talk about sort of how he was able to turn his love of canoeing into an occupation. And uh, I know I've been to the Canoe Museum several times. I used to take the kids uh, that I taught history to uh, up there, and it's a, it's a world-class facility. And he's promised that he's not only going to talk about how he got his job and what the job entails and how his love for canoeing got him that job, but 
he's also maybe going to give us a bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes at some of the stuff that the regular public doesn't uh, get to see. Um, I, I was uh, given some constructive criticism a few years ago by a, a lady in the audience. She said, you know, you don't have enough female speakers. And, and it's one of those things where I just immediately said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Uh, the first couple of years it was sort of an all-guy show. And uh, so I've made an effort to, uh, to sort of beat the bushes and, and try and draw in as many female speakers as we can. So we're lucky this year we have two coming. Um, the first one is uh, Kate Ming's son, who uh, works for uh, Wild Women Expedition. So she runs all-female uh, canoe trips. Right. And uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing sort of the, the uh, I don't want to say pros and cons, but maybe the things that are unique about an all-female trip versus having a mixed group or an all-guys trip. And, and again, just what it's like to have a job where, I mean, your life is, especially in the summer months, canoeing. I mean, you get paid to go canoeing, which I think sounds, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Fabulous, eh? We're going to wrap the morning up with uh, Gary Johnson. And uh, Gary's a, a gentleman I met. Uh, somebody recommended that he speak. And they said, you've got to meet this guy. He has paddled every body of water in the Grand River watershed. And I mean, I, and I said, well, what do you mean, like every body of water, every lake or, you know, the Grand River? They said, no, he's paddled every paddleable creek in the Grand River watershed. Uh, he has a wonderful map he got from the GRCA, uh, and he basically drew a 50-kilometer radius around his house so that he could get to any of his paddling destinations in under an hour and a half. Wow. And uh, he has a, a small, I think it's a 14-foot boat that he takes, and he just paddles everything. Uh, and the stuff he's seen, I saw his presentation, he wanted to sort of show it to me and, and see what I thought. And... Um, it, it, it's just amazing, and, and there's opportunities for paddling. They're literally less than five kilometers from my house that I didn't even know about. So I think people are going to be excited, not only if you live in this area, but just by the concept that, you know, if you dig a little deeper, uh, you can find a lot of paddling opportunities pretty close to home. Um, he's also a real goal setter, so he... For instance, we'll set goals one year. He paddled every creek in the Grand River watershed that passes under the 401. He just made that his goal. And, uh, you know, another year he paddled at least once in every great lake. So he's an interesting guy, and he's turning his hobby of canoeing into uh, a really motivating thing. That You know, he's sort of a checklist guy, and he likes to go through and, and check things off and say, hey, yeah, I've covered that, I've done that. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing the what people think about it. Cause yeah, he's, he sounds interesting. Unique thing. Really sounds interesting, that guy. In the afternoon, uh, I'm going to try and address something that I've left out up till now, and it's a little surprising to me. I, somebody pointed out I'd never had someone speak about solo canoe tripping, and solo tripping is such a huge part of canoeing. I, I did my own first solo trip this past September, and so Ian Hanna, who I think a lot of people might be familiar with, uh, he has a large online presence, yep. and uh, he he has an interesting take on things. He's sort of a cerebral guy. I've talked to him a little bit, and, uh, you know, he's a reader, he's a thinker, uh, and he, he has a little quote he shared with me. He said, you never really know someone until you've done a few canoe trips with them, which I would tend to agree with. And then he said, that's never truer than when you, when you do a solo trip. It's a real uh, learning experience just to, to learn about your own self and your own uh, point of view about things, and it just separates you from sort of the day-to-day -day stresses that I think we all uh, experience and, and gets you out there, and, you know, there's no way to talk to, there's lots of time to think, and, uh, you know, you're canoeing, which is always a good thing, so I'm looking forward to the insights he's, he's bringing with that. Uh, you know, Sean, you were with us last year, I made an effort to bring in uh, an expert, Mike McIntosh, on uh, the black bear. Right. Because um, I know, and I imagine most uh, canoeists uh, hear this, every time I mention canoeing, I like to go canoeing, I like to go to Killarney, people always say, what about the bears? Um, it seems to just be a fixation with some people that if you're going to be out in what they see as wilderness, uh, they're going to be bears. Well, of course there's bears. I mean, there's bears here in Kitchener-Waterloo occasionally. But you know, Mike came and sort of put a lot of, I hope anyway, put a lot of uh, fears to rest about 
you know, do you need to worry about the bears? And under what circumstances would you need to worry about the bears? Uh, I know my partner, Susan, uh, was uh, interested in his talk, and she said to me a couple of times since, and I've heard her mention other people, that, you know, since she's heard Mike speak, uh, she feels a lot better about uh, canoe tripping and a lot less worried about bears. Well, in that vein, the other thing that always seems to come up when you say you're a canoe tripper is what about wolves? Yes. Um, People have this stigma about wolves. They, due to European sort of fairy tales, uh, they have this mental picture of wolves as a sort of a, a bloodthirsty predator. And as you and I know, uh, wolf attacks are extremely rare yeah. in uh, North America. And I mean, I often say to people, I'm more likely to be in a car accident going canoeing than I am to ever have any problems with wolves. Uh, so I wanted to get a wolf expert in. Uh, and again, just sort of go over that ground with people. And uh, so I've been fortunate enough to get uh, David, I, I believe you say his last name, uh, Lagos or Lagos. Uh, I'm going to have to check with him on that. But he is the natural uh, heritage education specialist for Algonquin Park. And uh, so he's going to come and talk about wolves in Algonquin Park, uh, the research that's been done on them, what they've learned, uh, what we know about coexisting with wolves. And uh, I think that's something that uh, hopefully people will find uh, interesting and useful and perhaps give us more um, ammunition when we're talking to the non-canoeists about, hey, you know, I'm not worried about wolves. I, I love to hear them. I, I know, I think when we've spoken before, you said you've had the opportunity to hear wolves and see wolves. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've run across one in Algonquin Park. And actually this past October when we were on our, our nine-day canoe trip, uh, we were doing the, the howling for wolves and... Uh, we were surprisingly answered and uh, carried on a little conversation. I had no clue what they were saying, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it is something to hear. I mean, you, you just everybody just stops dead in their tracks when they, when they actually answer back. Yeah. It's awesome. It's such a special thing. It is. Uh, we were up on the French River many years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, and uh, I know that scientists say wolves don't howl at the moon, but it was a full moon, and it literally came right up out of Georgian Bay, and just as it came up out of the water, just the leading edge came up, uh, wolves started to howl right behind our campsite. And uh, it was, you know, they sounded like they were 50 feet behind us. I'm sure they were 100 meters or yeah. They were, uh, it just, and again, people say, well, weren't you scared? I wasn't scared. I was thrilled. Yeah. I was absolutely thrilled. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see two wolves in, in my canoeing, up one up in the Northwest Territories, an Arctic wolf on the Nahani River, and uh, one uh, in Killarney. And I, I wasn't actually aware of the, of the wolf presence in Killarney until I, when I saw the wolf, I did a little reading, and uh, I guess they've reestablished themselves in that area. And uh, we were really lucky, and around their campsite there was a lot of wolf sign, and I managed to bring home a couple of hares. A couple of them seemed to have gotten into an argument, and one fellow or girl lost part of the tail, and it's now sitting on my mantelpiece. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a fan of wolves, and I'm looking forward to having David speak. We're going to finish up the symposium with uh, uh, Brad Jennings and uh, Leah Schmidt, and they're a, a couple who does a lot, or who do a lot of um, investigating of old routes, uh, maybe even routes that haven't been paddled before. Um, I, you'll find uh, Brad online uh, at Explore the Backcountry, and he and his dad Wayne uh, post a lot of trip videos. Uh, they're both very good with a camera, and uh, now Brad and Wayne and Leah have, uh, you know, sort of poked around in areas of Ontario that um, a lot of people don't get to, and they're opening those areas up uh, through their videos and so on. Uh, Brad and his dad Wayne spoke, I believe, two years ago, uh, maybe three years ago, at the symposium about Queen Elizabeth II Wildlands uh, Park, and they've produced a map of that. So this is going to be Brad's second opportunity to speak, and uh, it's good to have Leah with him because, again, it gives that female perspective, and uh, she's been at the symposium numerous times when Brad's been there, but it's going to be good to have her speaking. So those are the six uh, presentations for this year. I'm pretty excited about them. Well, it sure sounds like a good lineup, and, uh, yeah, the the talk about the wolves, and, and I know I do solo, uh, solo paddling, and uh, I know a couple of buddies that are coming do the same sort of deal. That's going to be pretty interesting and I mean I was, I was lucky to get up to um, 
the the uh, Puzzle Lakes area up um, just north of Gravenhurst yeah. last September. And uh, it's not a hugely remote area, but uh, that was my first opportunity. And and I gotta say, I'm, I'm I think I'm a little bit hooked. I might have to. Uh, I have to try it again. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's just a totally different thing. Um, well, when when I got into canoe tripping, um, my very first um, canoe trip, and I've I've mentioned this on our show before, is because I didn't know anybody else that did canoe tripping. I just read about it and was online. My first one was a solo trip on Opiongo, um, in in Algonquin Park. It was like a four hour paddle up for the day, and and yeah, that was my first introduction to solo. And yeah, if if you can. If you can spend time with yourself, you'll get hooked. You know, I, I think that's the key, isn't it? I think uh, you, you have to have a certain comfort level with yourself, and you also have to have a certain confidence that, um, you know, nothing's out there that's any different than what you would see if there were two or three of you out there. I mean, when the sun goes down and the world kind of closes in on you a little bit, it gets dark. Um, you know, sometimes the, I've, I've heard people say you can get sort of the heebie-jeebies there a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know I woke up uh, this past September in the middle of the night one night when a when a tree came down. And, I, you know, it was probably two or 300 meters from where I was. But you immediately think, okay, that's a, that's a bear knocking over a, a dead tree and rooting around for grubs. And then I thought, well, who cares? <laughs> you know, I mean, if there were three of us lying here sleeping or there's just me... And, you know, the bear doesn't care. He's probably no more or less likely to come over and check out the campsite than he would be anyway. So yeah. just roll over and go back to sleep. And, you know, big deal. Yeah, it definitely takes it takes uh, a bit of getting used to going solo tripping, but it's definitely something to try out if you haven't. But, yes, yeah, it's, I, it, I it, agree. It, it definitely sounds like you got a fantastic lineup once again this year. And uh, we're definitely going to be checking that out. As I say, I've got my ticket all ready to go, and in hand so i won't be missing out and um really looking forward to all of this well we're looking forward to having people drop by and if people hear on your show about it and it's a little late for this year but uh just keep uh kw canoe symposium in mind who knows maybe they can check it out next year as well yeah and i mean we promote it on our site as well so and we've been uh, for the last while we do our events uh, section and you're always being um mentioned on it so People have had their had their notice. They've had their chance. If they've missed out, well, they're gonna just have to wait till next year and hear about how much fun we had this year, right? That's right. We'll have <laughs> to talk about it again. <laughs> well, thank you, David, for coming on and uh, talking about the Kitchener Waterloo Canoe Symposium. Um, we'll be seeing you there, and I, like I say, it sounds like it's going to be a good one again this year. Appreciate talking to you, Sean, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the 16th. All right. We'll see you then. Take care. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Nights are getting shorter and days longer. Around here, it hasn't felt like winter in a very long time. I know that I'm getting into the planning mode and checking out new gear. If you're in the same boat as me, here are some upcoming events to help you get ready for the paddling season. April 1st through 3rd, the New England Paddle Sports Show at the University of New Hampshire in Durham, New Hampshire. On April 2nd through 3rd, Montreal Outdoor Adventure and Travel Show. April 16th is the Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium at the Princess Twin Cinemas in Waterloo. Very few tickets left. On April 15th through 17th is the East Coast Paddle Sports and Outdoor Festival at the James Island County Park in Charleston, South Carolina. And finally, on April 22nd through 24th, the Outdoor Adventure Expo hosted by the Midwest Mountaineering in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Go to PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com for links to these and other events. And if you have an event you would like us to share, simply drop us a line. I noticed today when I arrived for our recording session, Sean, that uh, your house smells overwhelmingly like garlic. What's up with that? Well, it's that time of year again when I'm starting to get my supplies back up to 
to normal. Uh, I, I like to take spices on my canoe trips with me. Um, or, you know, if you're just out for a hike or something, you know you're going to be doing a shore lunch or, you know, along the trail somewhere. You got some spices in your bag to, you know, make add flavor to your whatever you're eating. So I saw two bowls of stuff. So the garlic and what was the other one? Yeah, the first one is the roasted garlic powder. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that's the one you're smelling the most. I, I make so much of that. The other one's actually... Uh, jalapenos. Jalapeno. Jalapenos. Um, yeah, pure, just all you do is you go and you buy the, the jalapenos, you cut them up, uh, and you dehydrate them. Then you grind them up into a powder, and it's pure jalapeno powder. There's nothing mixed in. It smells awesome. It does, and uh, yeah, the, the jalapeno makes you sneeze a bit. But <laughs> um, Yeah, you know what? I, I've gotten into the spices. It started with Lorianne March. A uh, friend of ours, she she wrote a book called The Fork, A Fork in the Trail. And it's all um, recipes geared towards backpackers, canoe trippers, stuff like that. Yeah, it's and a, a lo- very well done cookbook. Like it's uh, it's amazing to flip through it and see all the different ideas. And honestly, I, I had no idea you can do this variety of thing with uh, dehydrating food for the backcountry. Yeah, I, I picked up her book, man, that must be, what, 10 years ago? No, is it 10 years now? Uh, 2008. 2008, yeah. Uh, so eight years ago now. Um, and that's when I really started realizing what you could do. You're not stuck with the plain old, as you know, as I like to say, the beans in a can sort of meal. Um, but her recipe for roasted garlic powder is really simple. You just take the garlic and cut the tops off. You drizzle some olive oil and salt on it. You bake it in the oven for, what, 45 minutes? And then you take them out and you dehydrate them and grind them up into powder. And it, it, it just adds so much flavor. And from there, I went into the jalapenos. I've done um, onion powder and stuff like that. And, yeah, you know what? Just to have those spices along on a trip is is great. But the stuff that she does... The, the different meals and stuff. It's really mind-boggling. Like, she has uh, lunch, breakfast, lunches, snacks, dinners, dessert, and baked goods. It's full-on, full-fledged cookbook for the backcountry. And it's just, I, again, you introduced me to another thing here. I've been meaning to buy this cookbook for years, and I just never got around to it. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's i got to go out tomorrow and get one. Yeah, there's some of the stuff is in there. Is we've we've tried. I mean, we've even done the uh, the car camping thing and and tried a couple of the meals from there. But you know, as simple as when we go on our trips, I've used some of her. She's got a Hungarian goulash recipe in there. And before you start your day, you add it to uh, an algae bottle with some water. You just let it soak all day, and then you let it rehydrate all day. And by the time you get to camp at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're hungry. You get the camp set up. And boom, you're you're just throwing it in a pot and reheating it and throwing some noodles with it. And yeah, you're not eating, you know, beans from a can. You're eating exactly. a really decent meal. Well, it gets my creative juices flowing here. Like uh, I'm I'm looking at uh, advancing my uh, backcountry cuisine. I've got children two and a half and five and a half years old that travel with me now. So the previously I've always just done like uh, just. Uh, jerky and Lipton sidekicks and foil packed tuna and make some bannock bread but now with the children it's like I need to you know properly nurse them I kind of let myself go just for easy and easiness but with dehydrated foods you get all the the variety of uh, nutrients and you're not carrying extra weight and the, the extra weight thing is always something that I just kind of shed this shed that I I try and shed as much weight as I can but now I, I can do gourmet meals and not worry about the extra weight. Well, it's amazing because she talks about it is how much water you're hauling around. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, and yeah. And I mean, I do the jerky. I've got my own jerky recipe that is to die for, you know, but trying to get into the dehydrating habit of more than just that. And you can carry more and you eat better. And, you know, at the end of a long day, eating a good meal is a big thing. It is. You know, if you can get something really healthy into you and and whatnot, then yeah, it's just it just makes your day that much better because you've you're sitting around, you're tired, you really don't want to do much, but then you throw this really hot, good, hearty meal in your stomach and and it it makes a big difference. It does. And one thing I, I, I should note though is that like 
for the most part, I would use this for canoeing, but the, there's recipes here for like granola bars and, and snack mixes. So this is something that day trippers, kayakers, stand-up paddleboarders, if you're a cyclist on the road, you can create your own high-energy snacks. And instead of going for the cliff bars and the, the liquid uh, energy shots and stuff like that, this is something where if you're concerned about your dietary intake, you can really gear it down and concentrate on what you want to put in your body as opposed to somebody's chemical formulation that they've put into a, a liquid energy snack or a cliff bar or whatnot. So this is something that you can look at and it really advances the, uh, the form of, uh, of food and what you can eat. And also I'd note that uh, I think she has a second book. The first one is A Fork in the Trail and I think she has a second book out now that's Another Fork in the Trail, which it, again, it blows my mind. This book here is almost an inch thick and I haven't seen the second book, but the amount of stuff that she has in here is mind-blowing. Oh, definitely is. Yeah, so you know what? I think we need to give Lori a call and maybe uh, get her on the show here and talk about some of her recipes. Yes. In the meantime, if you want to check out <clears throat> A Fork in the Trail by Lori Ann March, definitely head on down to your local bookstore or Amazon and all that and check it out. And definitely you'll, you'll, you'll be very happy that you've checked it out. Uh, in the meantime, talking about all this food, I'm getting kind of hungry. So Yes, I agree. You've Time been listening to uh, Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.